Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today's topic is six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives, part three. And the theme is beneath the surface discipleship. Now, my goal here in this uh, podcast uh, today in particular is to challenge you personally in your walk with Jesus, because every one of us as leaders, we're first followers of Jesus ourselves, listening to his voice and following him. Uh, my also my second goal is really to offer you a vision through these this series on marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives, to give you a vision uh, of a preferable future to pull you forward, uh, an actual picture of uh, what I believe the church, some marks that are needed in the church in the 21st century in our rapidly changing world. And I, I, I pray that vision is got beauty to it as our Lord Jesus has beauty and that that will pull you forward despite the obstacles and the resistance. And then, of course, another goal is to challenge you in your leadership as you lead your team. But as goes the leader, so goes the church. So what I am sharing with you in this little short series of six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives is a a, a vision of a culture in the church <clears throat> or your ministry. So the last two weeks, uh, we, we started by talking about the first mark, which is a slow down spirituality, that uh, slowing down, that is our being uh, with Jesus, out of which we do life, uh, is critical. And we want to create a culture where people are developing their own relationship with Jesus, not living off other people's spirituality, that, that we're actually moving beyond cultural Christianity and programs <clears throat> or re being religious, but that folks are actually seeking uh, Jesus. Uh, Psalm 120, Psalm 27, 4, like David wrote, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. That, that's, that we're developing a culture where, where people have slowed down their lives intentionally for that relationship of God, seeking the face of God, out of which all of life flows. And again, if we're not getting people connected to Jesus on their own, apart from us, it doesn't matter what programs we do or the size of our church, uh, as Jesus said in John 15, there will be no fruit that will last. And then last week, we talked about the second mark of a church culture that deeply changes lives. We talked about integrity and in leadership, and that is that we're, our role and our soul are congruent. We are the same person on the outside that we are on the inside. We're living what we teach. We're modeling it. And knowing that the degree of our own transformation, the degree of our own freedom, is the degree to which others that we're leading will experience transformation and freedom. And that we're not living any kind of pretense or lying in our lives. So today, we move to the third mark of a church culture that deeply changes lives called beneath the surface discipleship. And uh, if we're going to deeply change lives, uh, that has to be obviously central that we're focused on that. And then next week, we'll talk about healthy community and the following week about passionate marriages and singleness and then the final mark of every person in, in full-time ministry. So again, this is based on a short ebook uh, that's available on our website. I want to encourage you to pick it up at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And that outlines in very brief form with some assessment questions for you and your team on these six marks of a church culture. But in this podcast, I, I'm really expounding on it far beyond the ebook uh, for you. So this is so important. This beneath the surface discipleship is one of the marks because Christianity, especially in the Western church, uh, is shallow, uh, is above the surface or slightly below the surface, not deep beneath the surface. 
And because we measure success in our churches uh, externally, specifically around numbers and budgets and uh, size of buildings and all that. And so traditional church in terms of transformation is done with three simple words, connect, grow, and serve. And uh, we do programs that affect, we can control it, we can manage it. We want to get people in our churches attending, and then we want to see them connect in small groups or in ministries. Then we want to hopefully want to see them uh, growing uh, in their faith by attending services and classes and things, and then hopefully serving with their gifts, time, and treasure. And so thus we develop programs and towards that direction. And that's traditional church. And, and just, you know, everybody, we do connect, grow, and serve in our church. So I'm a believer in it. I'm a believer in small groups uh, as well, uh, and some level of programming. Okay. So, uh, but we're talking here about a transformative model and a beneath the surface discipleship where people come into our churches and experience deep change. Now, the world's changing so rapidly, and I've had ministries come to me over the years, uh, last 10, 15 years, that have acknowledged that what we were doing for discipleship uh, in the past no longer is working. And there have been so many studies done on, on the rapid nature of change going on in our churches. And one of my favorite uh, images comes from Richard Swenson, who wrote the book Margin. And uh, he's a futurologist, former medical doctor. And he talks about how the last 30 years of human history has experienced more change than the last 5,000 years of recorded history. Uh, and it makes all the rest of recorded history look like a flat line, and you have this major line up a chart of change going on in our lives. And the Western church is in deep trouble. The secularization of the church, uh, in fact, there's so much of the world in the church that we're almost indistinguishable. And I was talking to a friend just even today on the phone, and uh, he was talking about it's no, it's no surprise that we export entertainment around the world and, and music around the world, and thus this kind of an entertainment church uh, model uh, is just, you know, come to church and and have a tremendous experience is still the mark of so much of Western Christianity. So my own journey on the, of discipleship was not beneath the surface. I like to call it shallow. And uh, even though I came to Christ at 19, was involved with uh, an excellent parachurch ministry where I learned so many wonderful things, uh, inductive Bible study, et cetera, fellowship, you know, gifts of the spirit, all kinds of things, and went to, went to great seminaries, learned a great deal. Uh, and uh, Jerry and I like to say we were evangelical poster children. And and I, I really had a very broad, I think, broad and, you know, solid evangelical discipleship training, uh, whether it was in scripture, whether it was in uh the gifts of the spirit, whether it was in the gospel, good solid reform theology, commitment to community and the poor, the power of God, uh, the revivalist tradition, evangelism. I mean, I just I, I, I considered evangelicalism at its best, and and so, but I came into this beneath the surface discipleship mark that we're talking about here today, kicking and screaming because I didn't have time for it, uh, and I was so committed to growing in the church and evangelism, so I came into it really in two ways. One is my personal life was going poorly and my marriage was going poorly. And so I was kicking and screaming in that I had to look at myself and the unredeemed parts of my own life beneath the surface. And then secondly, we were planning a church, a multiracial church, uh, and realizing that when issues of race and social class, uh, we were not, people were not changing deeply to actually live in community across all the racial tensions that we were experiencing in New York City. And uh, the reason that racism in particular just perpetuates generation to generation 
uh, I concluded was because we don't deeply change people in our churches. And so we used to have a question, you know, who can your son or daughter not marry? And that will tell me how deep your discipleship is. Uh, but I realized something was missing. Something was deeply wrong. So we're talking here really about an application of the gospel. How, what does it look like to bring a beneath-the-surface discipleship into your church? And, and, and uh, uh, to me, if I could frame it this way, that how do I bring the gospel and deeply apply to people's discipleship? Now, salvation is by grace alone. We stand before God in Jesus' righteousness, not our own. It's pure gift. Just like the Israelites were freed out of Egypt uh, by the blood of the Lamb, we are, we are in the in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, we're, we're, we're made Christians through the blood of Jesus alone who died for us. It's all grace. But discipleship is about sanctification. It's about growing. And, and uh, it's, it's also by grace, but we're involved in that discipleship, sanctification. And the question is, what does it take to get beneath the surface in discipleship? So I want to talk to you today about four areas in this podcast of, of how do I help bring people into a freedom Again, think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They were there 400 years. They were freed by grace. They were now God's people. But the unhealthy, destructive patterns of living that were part of their life in Egypt had to be broken as they were God's people. And so how do we do that here in the church in uh, the 21st century? That's our job as leaders to create a culture where deep change is going on. So I'm going to give you four theological areas and try to work it out practically a little bit with you of how do you bring this into a culture, not just people's individual lives. So the first is, our, our, is the first theological area is, if you're going to do beneath the surface discipleship is, we've got to deal with issues of family of origin uh, in people's lives, the fam our families of origin, and, and, and with that, their culture. Now, I didn't do this for the first 17 years as a, as a Christian. Uh, I would call it bad theology. And, because we're formed out of our families of origin. It's the most powerful system to which we will ever belong. And we also belong to our cultures and, and et cetera. And, and, and so, but if we're unaware of our own historical family dynamics, we just will bring that into the church family, into our following of Jesus. And that's, for the, that's, that's the reason we recycle the same old problems in our churches. And the principle very simply is this, you cannot change what you're unaware of. And we cannot change what we are unaware of. And, and that's why we have people in our churches who have been Christians 20, 30, 40 years, and uh, they're still recycling the same old problems. It's like they're, they're one-year-old Christians 40 times. And our goal is, is discipleship, formation in Jesus. The people have been formed in their families of origin and culture, but we want to now see them formed by Jesus. And our, our great saying is, you know, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. In other words, that grandpa's in your bones. It's a living presence inside of you. And just watch what triggers you. And the local church is a place where people are now reformed, reparented in Christ. So we did a help. How do I get at people's family of origin? And, and so, again, I can give you an, a, a theology, uh, which I will, it's in different one, books that I've written and perhaps other podcasts somewhere. But the theology is very simple as this. The, you know, the blessings and sins of our uh, parents go back, of our families go back three to four generations. And we see that in Scripture, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see it as a theme uh, in Scripture. And, and so that's why we see certain sins and patterns passed on from generation to generation. Patterns tend to be repeated. Uh, but when I come to Christ, I'm birthed into the new family of Jesus. By, his, by the blood of Christ, I'm now born again. I've got new brothers and sisters. I have a new inheritance. Uh, I've got a new name, Christian. Uh, and all my legal debts have been canceled through the cross of Christ. Uh, and I'm now in this new family. 
And now discipleship is learning how do I live in this new family of Jesus and, and how do I put off those things from my family of origin and my culture that don't belong in this new family of Jesus. That's called discipleship. The question, how do you get in there with people? Because the great problem is people are so unaware. I know I was unaware the first 17 years of my life. So what we did, and, and I'll give you a little bit of, of history here. In 1996, when we first started this journey that we call emotionally healthy discipleship today, uh, Jerry and I, were our marriage was in trouble, and we were in a counselor and therapist's office. And uh, I'll never forget, he did a, a very brief genogram with us, uh, mapped out how our the marriage of our parents and our grandparents, and then we looked at our marriage. Very simple three-generational genogram. He did it very quickly. Describe your parents' marriage and describe your grandparents' marriage. And we did that on the board, and then he said, describe your marriage. And I think to our great surprise, was our marriage wasn't that different than our parents' and grandparents' marriage, even though we were... Uh, as far as we were concerned, we were the first generation of real Christians, you know, and, and uh, it was quite shocking to realize it wasn't that different. And that, that was my first exposure to a genogram. And it was very brief. And I went after and began to study and learn about it in 1996 and, uh, and have done, you know, many, many genograms since then of myself even. And in fact, I was in a doctoral program of ministry. And one of our assignments was to do a genogram of our family of origin over a year period and interview every living member of our family. Uh, and see how it all put together, put, was put together and how it shaped who we are today. So what, I, what I've done and what Jerry and I have done over the last 17, 18, 19 years is develop a tool called Genogram Your Family to help people get at their family of origin. It's the best way I know to help people quickly get into how they've been impacted by their family of origin and how it impacts their discipleship and the work they need to do in following Jesus. And uh, so we've developed it into a tool. And uh, in fact, if I'm doing a leadership event uh, with pastors and leaders, the first thing I'll do is a genogram, especially if I've, you know, I'll ask for, always for two hours uh, to actually do it and expound on it. Uh, and it's been, it's just powerful to help people realize, oh, if you want to do beneath the surface discipleship, uh, it's not just telling them to do it. It's actually leading them actually into an experience of it. So I began to realize as I began this journey of emotionally of discipleship that my leadership of our church reflected the family business and my family of origin in some ways more than scripture. I think of our family business, the kind of chaos it ran on. It still exists today. It's been around since 1923. No bound, no sense of boundaries, a lot of enmeshment. I mean, 25, 30 employees, everybody reported to my, you know, uncle. Uh, you know, my family growing up, you weren't appreciated or loved for your separateness or differences. Uh, we didn't let adult children go well, you know, immigrant family. And so interesting, you know, your validation was in what you do, not who you are. And I just brought all kinds of things into our leadership of our church. I mean, I had abuse in my background. So so my whole life was making my mother happy. And now I'm a pastor of a church. I'm making everybody happy. I was over-responsible for people. I spent my childhood taking care of my mother who was ill. Now I'm taking care of everybody in a church as a, as a shepherd. And uh, you don't have a right to enjoy your life. And my family, it was work, work, work. And uh, again, there was abuse in my background. So we didn't do boundaries well, didn't do self-care. And I would allow people to say things to me that were very disrespectful. Uh, I just, again, didn't have a handle on it. And it wasn't okay to make mistakes growing up. Very perfectionistic culture. Uh, I would call it law versus grace. And even though I believed in grace, I lived law because that was in my bones. And your worth and value was based on what you do, not who you are. And uh, my mother was always embarrassed that I became a pastor. And she would say, well, we're going to be a pastor. At least be Billy Graham, you know, be a loser, you know. <laughs> so the way I did conflict, I mean, I never saw a conflict 
what done well and uh, and so I didn't do conflict well. Our church didn't do conflict well. And marriage expectations and gender roles, you know, it came much more out of my macho family, Italian-American family, than it did scripture, the chauvinism, uh, abandonment. You know, I, when people left the church, it took a chunk of flesh out of me. And I would appease people, do anything to keep people in the church. And again, it came out of some deep wounds of feelings of abandonment growing up. And I mean, it's just amazing. Um I was a very confusing leader. And, and and so, so many of our people are carrying deep scripts from their family of origin. Uh, scripts or things are handed to them by the families. And, and even though they may know the Bible in their heads and know how to do church and serve and, but scripts like you don't matter, you know, or, or you're stupid or you're unimportant or you're, you need to be perfect or you can't be wrong and you need, you're not to be trusted. You're a loser. You know, this kind of, messages are deep in our bones and and our discipleship doesn't get at that and so i've got people who are very smart may have phds but feel stupid uh or you know can't make a mistake and uh you know or, or like losers like where that's coming from a deep well and how do i get the gospel in people deep enough where they actually realize oh it's as the father says to me you know it's good that you exist you're lovable you're you're good enough because of christ you're a joy you've got nothing left to prove your needs are a delight you know years ago i read a, a study by uh, a harvard professor about the multi-generational transmission of trauma and she did a, a study of holocaust survivors and found that the same traumatic symptoms that were in them went down two to three generations. In other words, because the families, the parents didn't deal with it coming out of the Holocaust. Uh, their children had all the symptoms of it. Then their grandchildren had it because uh, it's just it's transmission through generations. And so we've got folks in our churches, because our discipleship isn't very deep, who are basically living their families. And with a Christian veneer, it's like two levels of false self. And a fellow... Uh, we had hired and got to know at New Life Fellowship Church over the last number of years. Came from a Christian family. He was a pastor for 20 years. Uh, he was a pastor in actually large churches over children's programs, over thousands of kids. But over a series of circumstances, I had to leave a church, his church. And he came to New Life as a member a number of years ago, six, seven, eight years ago. And was a volunteer and started experiencing emotionally healthy discipleship. And uh, it was very interesting because we got to know him. He... he uh, and he, he first did a family of origin, like genogram and looking at his unhealthy commandments. And we asked him some questions, like, how'd your family deal with, you know, appreciations? Oh, we didn't really do it except for holidays, he said. How'd your family do empathy and feeling felt? And he wrote, nope. How'd your family do anger, sadness, and fear? And he said, no, nah, you know, anger and yelling is what we did. And how about affection? No, we didn't do that after 10 years old. How about words? I didn't talk much. Conflict? Dad, mom complained, dad zip. You know, about forgiveness, uh, you know, silent treatment, it'll pass, you know. And he went through these, you know, how his family did life. And, and it was just, it was it was so unlike the new family of Jesus. But yet here he was, a, a Christian leader. And I remember saying to him, how are you going to bring transformation to children that you're leading? View yourself, this is how you're functioning. And, you know, he, he realized um, that uh his discipleship had not gone beneath the surface. And what a genogram does, it highlights gaps and vulnerabilities. And um, now it's painful to go back. It is, no question about it, but it enables us to go forward and be free in Christ. So that's the first mark of a of a discipleship that is that does deeply change people. In fact, if I can just, for a moment, if you're going to go beneath the surface, you also got to go into culture. 
And we've traveled a bit around the world. And again, our church has 75 different countries in it. And, and cultures and countries sometimes have a, um, a particular shadow to them. So, for example, I'm not going to name the countries, so it's a generalization, but there are some countries that are really perfectionistic. Uh, it's not okay to make mistakes. Others where you just don't do appreciations. Um, I was with, in one country with 600 pastors, and we were teaching a very simple skill, the community temperature reading, and I'll never forget, they they could not say, I appreciate. It was all skill, because they said, we don't do this. We, we motivate by criticism. Um, and others where loyalty and uh, loyalty to parents uh, crosses the line into idolatry. And in others like American culture, you know, success is about money and power and celebrityism, you know, and, you know, God's will for you is the American dream and, and wealth. And I mean, that isn't, that's a cultural, uh, that is not a biblical, you know, paradigm or workaholism. Certain cultures working a hundred hours a week is not that uncommon. The idea of doing Sabbath is, a, is, is you can't, they, they, people couldn't accept it. I've had people tell me, I, I can't do this in my country. Are you kidding me? I'd be fired. And, um, or women not having a voice, and uh, and that's a cultural thing versus a biblical thing where women, of course, have voices. You know, God pours out His flesh on His pours spirit on all flesh. Or certain cultures and continents don't do vulnerability and brokenness. So, which leads me right to my next point. So, so, so again, we've got family of origin stuff, and we got cultural stuff. So, beneath the surface, discipleship goes after that to free people in Christ to what God has for them. But there's a second. A, a theological area that's got to be touched on if you're going to do beneath the surface discipleship, and it's this: it's brokenness and vulnerability. Uh, brokenness and vulnerability uh, to create a culture where that actually is is happening. Now, God built the world; He built into it that we be broken by life. You know, the fall after after sin enters the human race, He 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 introduces what's called a curse. There'll be thorns and thistles in our relationships and our work to break us. And it's meant to drive us to our need for a savior. But the reality is our our, our world is, is marked by pride and being protective, about feelings of entitlement or blaming and holding grudges and judging and denying painful realities and avoidance and pretense. But yet you've got in scripture this these models of brokenness and vulnerability that just shout out at us. And uh, one is David, for example. I mean, David commits adultery and murder and lets it get recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And then he actually writes a song about it in Psalm 51. And he, he makes it very clear, God does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, but in a contrite spirit. He will not despise. And David models a brokenness, a man after God's own heart and vulnerability. Paul models that in 2 Corinthians 10 to 13, especially chapter 12, where he's not a super apostle uh, boasting about his visions and revelations, but rather he's boasting in his weakness that God's power might rest on him, his thorn in the flesh. And he's modeling weakness. And honestly, Peter allowed the gospel of Mark to get written, the first gospel, which is, which again, all the gospels record his his horrific failure and denial and betrayal of Jesus at the most critical moment of human history, the crucifixion of God, and but Peter got broken by that, and and you know Peter without the brokenness of failure uh, would not have been qualified to be given the leadership of the church to, for the Lord Jesus to say, "Feed my sheep," and uh, that's why like, suffering can be such a gift to. to to break us. And, and that's why power can be so dangerous. We start to feel entitled, whether it's education or our gender or how big we are or money and et cetera, how smart we are. But 
but it gets us in touch with the depth of the gospel. We've had nothing to prove, and I can be we can be honest about our flaws and journey and our genograms and our imperfections and struggles, but we've got to go first as leaders in creating a culture of brokenness and vulnerability. But without, just like dealing with our family of origin, if we're going to create a culture of beneath-the-surface discipleship, you've got to create a space where it's safe for people to come out. And... Uh, so they can be deeply changed by Jesus. Again, we don't change people, Jesus does, but we help them get positioned where Jesus can change them. But let me move on to the third theological category, which I'm gonna simply call limits. Uh, so it's family of origin, brokenness, and vulnerability, and a third is limits, a theology of limits. Uh, this, is, this has been the largest issue for me over the decades, uh, dealing with my limits. Uh, if you look at Genesis chapter uh, two, the first, uh, chapter three, that the rebellion in the Garden of Eden was all about crossing limits. And, uh, you know, our culture is bigger, better, faster, upward. Uh, and, uh, but God puts limits around us. And he puts the Garden of Eden, he puts a in, in the tree, right in the center of the garden. He says, you can eat from any tree but this one. Um, and they were to trust God with that. They didn't, they crossed that limit. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we're still bearing the result to this day. Uh, the the the, the, uh, temp, the Jesus temptation in the wilderness by the devil as our second Adam was all about crossing limits, and that was the spiritual warfare. If Jesus had uh, crossed those limits, uh, again we wouldn't be here today either. And so uh, that was the spiritual warfare issue. And uh, when we when we violate the limits God puts in front of us, uh, we miss how God's speaking, and we end up in enemy territory and a lot of chaos results. And and to build a culture that deeply changes lives is integrating not, not just limits in our own personal lives, but in our leadership and in the culture as a whole. You see, you're not God and I'm not God, and our people aren't God. That's what makes Sabbath so difficult. Every Sabbath, I declare, I'm not running the universe, God is. So all those limits that we've got in our life, everything from our personality is a limit, whether you're an extrovert or introvert, your age is a limit, whether you're listening and you're 20, or whether you're in your 60s or 70s. The season of life you're in is a limit. Uh, small children, no children, married, single. Your temperament is a, is a limit. Uh, your gifts of the Spirit, you've got our limit. We, we all have limited gifts. Jesus has all the gifts. Uh, your emotional capacity is a limit. Your intellectual capacity is a limit. Your family of origin is a limit. They're all gifts, but they're limits. The country you're, you're born in, the country you're living in, your, your, your ethnicity and race is a limit. Dying is the ultimate limit. Um, and so the embracing of limits is one of the, is a major way God comes to us. And, and I think of John the Baptist where he says a person can receive only what's given him from heaven. So how do you know what kind of self-care do I need? And, and, and uh, how much time with God do I need to function? And this is why if you're, if you're in leadership in particular, sab Sabbaths and sabbaticals, how much can you take out of your soil of your soul without needing to, because of your limits, to say, I've got to stop. Um, I've got to, I've got to embrace my limits and how God's coming to me. Where do I need to say no? What are some of the invasive situations I need to avoid or people even? Now, of course, God breaks through our limitations. Think of Sarah with and Abraham having a child at ninety and hundred, and Moses starting at age eighty, and Timothy being fearful. But it's so countercultural to build a culture where we believe God for His greatness and we've got faith for God to do great things. At the same time, we embrace limits as gifts from God. So we don't want to bypass God and his prompting. So we're listening to Holy Spirit and embracing limits. But when we don't receive our limits, we get in trouble personally, 
the leadership gets in trouble, those we lead, and the culture as a whole gets in trouble. Let me close with a final, uh, I would say a mark of a discipleship that deeply changes lives. You've got family of origin, you've got um, vulnerability and brokenness, you've got limits, and the last is grief and loss, which is related to limits. Um, because maturity of a culture results from people engaging in the slow, hard work of following the crucified Jesus. And <clears throat> grief and loss is a large theme in Scripture. Now listen, our culture and the church as a result, we, we, resi we resist and we avoid grief and loss. Our, again, our culture is young, healthier, smarter, bigger, better, go up. And we see loss and grief as something exceptional, kind of like an alien from outer space interrupting our lives. And we say, get over it. Praise him. All things work together for good. You know, and in a church, we don't have a lot of theology for anger, sadness, waiting, depression. You know, how are you? Couldn't be better. It's all for the better. It's under the blood of Jesus. I'm a new creation. And we've got this distraction culture, and it's in the church as well. And thus, we have widespread addiction. It's one way, it's the most popular way of not dealing with loss and grief, is denying death. And so, so we end up watching TV constantly or working 80 hours a week or drinking or going on sexual escapades or eating too much, something to not feel pain. And we demand other people take the pain away. And so uh, there are some folks, and I believe in clinical depression, who have depression just from years of minimizing the realities of loss, failure, disappointment, and we end up becoming dull and unresponsive to all reality. And... Uh, Learning to lament is just a key biblical issue. And so we've got just a capacity for grieving, which is almost lost in the culture and lost in the church. And because we're so busy trying to stay in control and we end up giving cheap forgiveness, it's unbiblical and inhuman not to pay attention to our griefs. And so we all go through losses and we'll all lose everything by the time we see him face to face. We lose our dreams, our, our youth, our, we go through transitions. We have catastrophic losses, silent losses. We lose ideas about God in the church, but but there's two-thirds of the Psalms are losses. We have a whole book called Lamentations. I mean, Jesus was all about the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we've got to bring into a, we're going to build a culture that deeply changes lives. We've got to train our people to pay attention and follow the biblical mandate for how to deal with grief and loss. Big ones and middle ones and small ones. We pay attention, we wait in the confusing in between on God, and we let the old birth the new. And we see that in Job, we see that in David. And listen, Christianity is all about death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, it's every, if we're going to go into maturity and deeply change lives, we've got to not just teach this, model it, live it as a, as a church culture, family, a ministry culture, as well as personally. Uh, it's, this is slow. This is hard. It's the work of discipleship. Do I lean into this? No, I naturally, everything in my flesh leans away from all of these uh, points I just brought to you about beneath the surface discipleship. But there is a principle that as we lead people into death, uh, into the to following Jesus to the cross, uh, there is a resurrection. There is grace. There is power. We find out we go into the pit where things are difficult. Jesus is there waiting for us to meet us. So let me ask you a question as we close. To what degree is your culture uh, that you're building under your leadership characterized by a beneath-the-surface discipleship. I tried to give you a taste of what that looks like today. So if you're going to change your culture, uh, it's got to go beyond individuals. And so, of course, as you know, we have many books and small group materials, and we found to build the culture of a church, uh, you've got to build something into it that is 
core and centralized. And so we put it into a course called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. It has two parts to it. Uh, it's a big answer to a big problem. We found we could not create culture over the last 23 years at our own church and other churches around the world unless we put something in there as an anchor that would stay over the years to build culture. And so let me invite you to go look for more of that on our website at emotionallyhealthy.org. Come to a live stream training on what would it look like to bring that to your leadership, to your church, to begin to change the culture. It's called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. And come join us for a live training. Uh, we do it on a monthly basis and uh, learn more. Okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you this day. And may he use you to make disciples who actually multiply and make disciples. And may the kingdom of God spread throughout the earth. Bless you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.